Hello again, friends, companions, compatriots, fellow practitioners of the Marshall Way. Thank you for joining me again. Today I've got a few little exciting things that I think you are going to enjoy. I've got a little gift for you, a little audio file I'm going to send your way, something I think you're going to find useful uh, for meditation, a tool for you to use. And I've got two things that I want to discuss with you today. First off, I'd like to have a discussion with you about about meditation and about zazen but not about not so much about specific technique while practicing zazen not not delving into uh, the specifics of what you should be thinking about while you're practicing but more the foundation of meditation more macro scale more the framework of meditation itself some really important things to consider that i think will aid you immensely in your own practice and in your own progress and that might sound a little bit vague at the moment but all will become clear very soon and then in the second part of today's episode I would like to take you on some guided meditation where we are going to delve a little bit deeper into some specific technique and some specific considerations and that's going to be all focused around breath and breathing we're really going to go deep into the breathing. I know that's something we've covered before, but this is something that has so much depth and so much technique and so much to find in there. And I, I promise you'll enjoy it. And I promise that you'll find it interesting because, well, I can't promise anything really, but I find it very interesting and I find it really enjoyable. Just it's such a simple thing and you can practice it anywhere, anytime. And I guarantee you that this will give you, a, at, le at the very least, it will give you a greater appreciation of the practice you already have. And it's going to equip you with some more skills. And while we're here, what I'd also like to do is just talk to you quickly about next week's episode. I know that's something I normally do at the end, but because we are going to be finishing with guided meditation today, I don't want to bring you out of that. I don't want to drag you back to reality with any, hey guys, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, none of that nonsense, okay? So next week, we're going to talk about the 16 virtues of the martial deity. This is something I came up with a couple of years ago, and I try to live by these principles as much as possible. And it's something that's really important for everybody to consider. What are the virtues that I would like to develop within myself? What are the qualities that I would like to head towards? What qualities do I wish to embody? What kind of person do I wish to become? So that's next week. I'm not going to waste your time anymore. Let's get straight into it and let's start talking about what we came for. The topic of discussion today is sitting in your own time, practicing zazen, practicing meditation in your own time, under your own steam and under your own tutelage. So something that's really important that I want to convey to you now is that Everything that I share with you, everything that I teach you, everything that I have learned and that I try to deliver to you is to equip you and give you the knowledge and give you the experience to develop yourself and to practice yourself in your own time. Now, to some of you, that might sound quite obvious at first, but it's worth considering that so many people rely on a teacher and and of course we all need teachers we all need some mentor and someone guiding us i'm not questioning that at all there is nothing you can learn that hasn't already been learned by somebody else before you so we need to look for those teachers we need to look for that that guidance in other people i'm not 
questioning that at all. Obviously, you know, I'd like to think you're listening to me now because you think, oh, this guy, he's done some research. He's got something to share with me and I want to know what that is. So that's all well and good. That's fair enough. But the the, the kind of, I don't want to use the word problem, but um, the issue here is that a lot of people rely absolutely 100% on teachers. And I've seen this a little bit too much. For instance, when it comes to meditation, there are a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I meditate, I, I, I meditate all the time. But they only ever meditate with the guidance of some kind of, you know, uh, like an audio file, like a podcast or something on YouTube or, or some sort of um, spoken guidance. And that's very useful. That is very useful. And that's something I'm going to do with you today. But if that's the only time that you ever meditate, you're not really meditating because meditation is at its heart an internal process. It is a journey where we look inwards to ourselves and we must practice techniques and considerations and thoughts within our own mind, within our own space. And if you've constantly got someone talking in your ear telling you what to do, you're not really taking control of that yourself. It's the same in the gym. I see it all the time with people who practice yoga and some people who've been practicing yoga for years, years and years and years. And they go to the gym maybe once, twice, three times, maybe even more a week. And they attend these yoga classes and they're, you know, they're very good. They're very practiced. Uh, they have fantastic knowledge and skill, but they only ever practice it in the class. Like, I, I can't imagine anything more crazy. I mean, yoga, you don't need any equipment. You just need yourself. You can do that anywhere, anytime. So don't think of that class as, oh, that's where I practice yoga. No, no, that's where you learn yoga. And then once you have that knowledge and once you have that experience, then you have that, you take that away with you. That's something you can take home. That's a gift for you. That's not something that you that only exists within the class, within the boundaries of that room. So again, what I'm trying to convey to you here is that everything I share with you is knowledge and information and understanding that I want you to take away and for you to develop on yourself. Don't take anything that I say for granted. You try for yourself. Yeah, prove me wrong. If I, if you think if you think I'm talking nonsense, then you know, discover the truth for yourself. Okay, so moving on to one of the most common questions that I get. I get this all the time. People ask me, what is the best time to practice Zazen? I think when people ask me this question, it displays to me that the person asking the question has, I think, a fundamental misunderstanding as to the nature of meditation. So let me explain. When I go to temples for extended retreats to, to practice meditation, to practice Zazen, let's take the, uh, the first temple I uh, stayed at when I first came to Japan, Teki Shinjuku. I was there for one week. Let me, let me paint you a picture here. So at that temple, the first thing we did in the morning and the last thing we did at night was sit Zazen. From the first thing in the morning to the last thing at night, we were meditating. Now, between meditation, obviously we were doing a lot of other jobs as well. We were cooking, we were cleaning, indoors, outdoors. We had lots of different activities to do. But the point is that 
when we are on the cushion, so to speak, when we are meditating, whether it is sat on a cushion or whether it's standing meditation or walking meditation, when we are formally practicing meditation, those techniques that we have that we use while we are practicing in that kind of more formal setting, the the breathing, the focus, the attention, the awareness, the concentration, everything that we practice at that time, it's not that when we get up, when we leave that, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm done now. Now I'm just, you know, that, that was serious, but now I'm just cleaning. Oh, that's a job. That's just something I have to do. No, no, no. Those techniques that we practice we practice them all the time. At all moments are we meditating. So whether we are, especially when we're cleaning, I am still focusing on my posture, focusing on my breathing, focusing on my awareness, maintaining concentration. When I'm eating, I've already spoken to you before about how eating in temples is a highly ritualized process. And when we're bathing, when I'm laying down to sleep, at all times we are practicing that same focus, that same attention. That is why in the Zen tradition of Buddhism, they call seated meditation, they often say it's just sitting. Shinkantaza, just sitting. And once you join a temple and you practice these techniques all the time, every waking moment in your day, you begin to understand why. If Zazen can be translated as seated meditation, you begin to think, well, hold on a second. I'm meditating all the time. Seated meditation, if, if that's seated meditation, then I'm also doing cleaning meditation. Then I'm also doing eating meditation. Then I'm also doing walking meditation. So using the word meditation itself becomes entirely redundant because I'm meditating all the time. So seated meditation isn't seated meditation. It's just seated. Now, the point that I'm trying to make isn't that, oh, you should be meditating all the time. The point that I'm trying to make is that when we come to the point of living an enlightened life, it is that that focus and attention and awareness that we have, that we cultivate when we are seated, when we are formally practicing meditation, that same awareness and concentration we have, we have that all day, all the time. There's no moment in which we're not meditating. So when people ask me, what's the best time to meditate? Well, eventually we want to be meditating all the time. So it doesn't matter if it's first thing in the morning, if it's last thing at night, if it's in your lunch break, if it's while you're sat on a train, if it's while you're stood in a queue at the post office, it doesn't matter because the, the point is that we want to get good at this all the time, every moment of the day. So I say to you, try different times of day for yourself. When I was in the temple, sitting down for meditation, first thing in the morning as that sun's coming up, was a completely different experience to when I was sitting it last thing at night when the sun had gone down. A completely different experience. And, you know, neither is any better or worse. They're just different. Every moment is different, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's at lunchtime, uh, the middle of the day, or whether it's the last thing at night. And they will always be different. Uh, whether it's lunchtime today, whether it's lunchtime tomorrow, whether it's lunchtime next year, it doesn't matter. Every moment is unique. Every moment is different. And we want to cultivate our practice throughout all of this. So 
When is the best time to practice Sazen? Anytime. Right now. <laughs> it's whenever, anytime. You know, try it for yourself. Try different times and you see what you feel like. You see what you think. You see what the difference is for yourself. So next I would like to talk to you about the little gift I have for you, the 10 minute timer. I will upload this to some kind of file hosting website and I will leave a link in the description uh, so that you can download that and you can use it yourself. So this actually leads me on to another question that I often get, which is how often should I meditate? And the answer that I give to that is really the same answer that I give to how often should I practice anything that I'm trying to learn, that I'm trying to develop. And I always say at least three times a week, whether it's whether you're running, practicing yoga, trying to learn a language, uh, practice an instrument, anything at all. I would always aim for a minimum of three times a week. I had one of my students and oh, I really, I really lament about her because she was so promising, so promising. I I'd had a few lengthy conversations with her about the Tao, the way, and she had displayed to me that she had a very, very penetrating insight with little to no experience in meditation. She had a remarkably penetrating insight as to the way and as to the teachings of the Buddha and the Tao without any, any experience or any tutelage or any research whatsoever. She just had this natural insight that I just found absolutely remarkable. And I thought, oh, she has so much promise. She has so much potential. I really wanted her to practice and to focus more. And she did come to my classes. But the problem was that in her own time, she was practicing once a week for 10 minutes once a week. And that's just not enough. Okay, it's just not enough. And I said this to her. I said, I'm, that's just not enough. You need to train more. And my colleague of the time, she said to me, she kind of tried to diffuse me and she tried to support my students like, oh, you know, oh, it's better than nothing. You know, it's a good start. It's a good place to start. I'm sorry, but no, that's not good enough. Okay. If I said to you, oh, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn the Japanese language. I want to be able to, to read and write hiragana, kanji, I want to be able to speak conversational Japanese. And you said to me, oh, that's really good. How often are you studying? And I said to you, oh, I'm studying once a week for 10 minutes. What would your reaction to that be? Your reaction would be, that's not enough. You're not going to learn anything. Okay. What would you say if your child came to you and you said, oh, how, how did you like school? First day at school. How do you like that? Is it, is it good? Did you have a good time? Did you make some friends? And your child said to you, ah, oh, yeah, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of, mm, I didn't really enjoy it so much. You know, I'll go to school. I'll go to school. But mm, I think I'll go once a week for 10 minutes. I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. Okay. If you want to make progress and you want to learn, and I'm hoping that if you're listening to me now, you are one of those people, you do want to make progress and you do want to learn, you do want to develop. Once a week for 10 minutes is not good enough, okay? I'm not going to mollycoddle you and tell you like, oh, you know, it's a good start. It's not good enough, okay? Please, please practice more. I want you to develop. I want you to learn something. 
I want you to share in the same transformative and life-changing experiences that I have had. And practicing once a week for 10 minutes is just not good enough. So please, at least three times a week. And for how long should I sit once I sit? This is what I really wanted to come here today to focus on and to tell you. So this timer, as I've already said, it's a 10 minute timer. Now what that doesn't mean is that you are sitting for 10 minutes. What that means is that it is a 10 minutes minimum timer that I would like you to sit for. 10 minutes minimum. Now, you may think to yourself, well, I've got a timer on my phone. I've got a countdown timer on my phone. I can just bang that on 10 minutes and, you know, that's good to go. And then when it goes off, da, da, da. okay, I don't like using those countdown timers because when the timer goes off, you have to move and break position and break your focus and concentration to turn it off, to press a button to turn it off. Okay, this sound file that I'm going to share with you it has, it is a sound file and has a bell that rings once at the start, once in the middle, and three times at the end. Okay. And that's a sound file. So when the sound file reaches the end, it will simply stop playing. So you can set that on your phone or your laptop or whatever you want to use. And you can set that and you can sit down and you can practice meditation or yoga or other things as well. And once that timer rings three times, you know that you don't have to move, you don't have to deal with it, and that timer has finished. Now, the point of this being a minimum timer is that, especially not so much with yoga and, and other practices, but especially with meditation, the key is that you want to be sitting here and now. I'm always saying here and now, here and now, focusing on the present moment and the present experience. If you have a timer, like a countdown timer, for 10 minutes, and you're going to say to yourself, I'm going to sit for 10 minutes, or even if it's half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and you are telling yourself, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to practice meditation until that timer goes off. It doesn't matter how long that timer is. A part of your mind is going to be waiting for that timer to finish. So at that point, you're not so much practicing meditation for the current experience. You are doing a job and you're waiting for the end. It's a, it becomes a task. So this 10 minute timer minimum, the point is that when that timer goes off, ding, 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 three times, that's not the end. Well, that's the end of the timer and the start of your meditation. So from that point on, then you're meditating, then you're free, okay? And how long do I sit from that point? I don't care, okay? At least a minute, please, 60 seconds, okay? But beyond that, it doesn't matter. Just keep sitting, okay? When I sit, I use a 15 minute timer now, and on average, on average, I usually sit for about 25 to 45 minutes. But I don't start until the timer rings three times. 
So even if you're super busy and you're really uncomfortable and maybe you do have stuff to do, whatever, that's fine. If you only just sit for 60 seconds beyond the end of that timer, that's fine, okay? That's more than nothing, okay? At least you have got the 10 minutes before that where you have been meditating, okay? But the real key, the real key that I want you to appreciate is not to think of Zazen as a job, as a task that you have to do, not to think of it with that kind of reluctant, oh, it's a job that I need to do. No, no, I want you to sit down and you may find that once you sit beyond the end of that timer and you've been sitting for another five, 10 minutes, you reach that point where you don't have a desire to stand up. You're just comfortable just sitting there, just practicing, just focusing on your breathing and your posture, sight, sound, body sensation, all that other good stuff. So please give it a try. Use that timer, sit beyond the end of it, And also what that will help you do is recognize intentions. Intentions always precede action. And when you are sitting and when that time is rung three times and you're sat there for another five minutes and you think to yourself, "Mm, maybe I've been sat here for long enough. I'm going to stand up now. You will hear that voice speak to you inside of you. I'm going to stand up now. When that voice comes to you, rather than just standing up, How about instead you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to take three breaths or maybe 10 breaths, count to 10, and then I'll stand up. And then you sit there, you count your 10 breaths. And at the end of that 10 breaths, you think to yourself, well, that wasn't so bad. And I'm still here. Maybe I'll do another 10 breaths. And then what you are doing is you are driving a wedge between intention and action Normally, most people, most of us, we go through our lives, we have a desire and we immediately act on it. You know, I get hungry and I eat. You don't even think about it. Someone says something mean to you and you immediately react to it with some kind of venomous response. You don't even think about it. But this is an opportunity for you to to separate the gap between your mental impressions that come to your mind and your physical responses. That is why physical stillness is so important during meditation that when we feel a scratch on our head we don't just immediately react to it we recognize the sensation i am feeling an itch and my body desires to scratch it but i'm not going to scratch that itch and that is such a metaphor for everything in our life we're always trying to scratch that itch but when we don't react immediately to our intentions and our desires and our sufferings, then we build a gap between our mind and our body and we, we begin to separate ourselves consciously from the experience. So I hope that's given you some interesting things to consider and to think about when you are going forward and when you are practicing meditation in your own time. And a lot of my clients, a lot of my students, they have told me that they have used the 10 minute timer and that they really enjoy using it and they have found it useful. Like I said, I use my 15-minute timer all the time, every day for zazen, for meditation, for Japanese language study. And again, like I said, it's a minimum timer, a minimum timer. So I know if nothing else, if nothing else, I have studied Japanese for 15 minutes today, if nothing else. But I will continue to study beyond that. So maybe I will study for half an hour for 45 minutes. But if nothing else, you've got that minimum of 15 minutes. So you can say to yourself, okay, I have done something today. Moving on from that, let's start to look at the guided meditation. 
So what we're going to talk about today is some advanced breath work. It's very simple, very easy, but also very deep, very, very powerful. We're going to start out with some visualization, some kind of mental exercises that you might find useful. Then we're going to move on to some deep analysis. Really look at the breath, really think about what's going on with a little bit of visualization as well so that we can kind of contextualize our experience. So as always, if you can grab yourself a Zafu, if you've got one, some cushions, some kind of comfortable seating position, or if you're on a train or whatever, that's fine. Just get yourself comfortable, sit up nice and straight, and let's have a look at the breath. So as always, we begin with posture and breathing. Now, I hope you're comfortable. I hope you're set up right. That's not something we're going to focus on today. So I'm going to leave that up to you. Get yourself nice and comfortable. Get yourself nice and upright. And it is important to be sat upright, especially now because we are going to be focusing on the breath and on the breathing. And if you're not sat upright, you're going to be crushing those lungs. You're going to be suffocating the diaphragm and you're not going to get as much out of this. So sit up nice and straight so that your midsection and your spine are nice and aligned and in a straight line. And that's really going to open up the lungs, the chest, the belly. And that's really, really important. So as we move from the posture onto the breathing, first of all, let's just take a look at the breath as one big motion. So you have the inhale and the exhale. Su, haku, in and out. That's one circle from the beginning of the in-breath to the end of the exhalation. That's one big round motion. So I'm going to give you a few seconds just to have a little look at that and just to experience your own breath. Okay, now let's take that breath and let's break it into two motions. We're going to start with the inhale and then we're going to go on to the exhale. Now that inhalation, that inward breath, I don't care about how much air you take in. Okay, maybe it's a shallow breath, maybe it's a deep breath. That's going to be dependent on a lot of things, what you're doing, where you are humidity, elevation, all kinds of different factors are going to come into that. Okay, I'm not worried about how much air you're taking in. What I would like you to do is to consider where you are breathing into, not how much, not quantity, but location. So rather than breathing into the chest and using those intercostal muscles between the ribcage, what I'd like you to do is breathe deep down into that tandem, that center, that core beneath the navel. You may have heard this called belly breathing. What this does is it engages your diaphragm, which is just behind the solar plexus. So this nice, deep diaphragmatic breathing is going to be really important to really draw that air deep down within us. So you need to relax your stomach, relax your abs and draw that air deep down into your belly. And then when you breathe out, I want a long, relaxed exhalation. 
So when people talk about lengthening the breath, I'm not so interested about lengthening that inhalation. You take in as much air as you need to. If it's short, it's short. If it's long, it's long. That's fine, whatever. But what I would like you to lengthen is the outward breath. And it's just a long sigh. Don't suffocate yourself. Just feel like, ah, I'm relaxed. I'm letting that air out nice and easy. I'm breathing into the diaphragm and I'm breathing out nice and long. Now here comes the visualization. Here comes a little image that I would like to share with you. And I'd like to, I'd like to see what you think. So normally when we breathe, we think, well, of course we're breathing in and we're breathing out. We're bringing the air in, we're pushing it out instead of in and out. I want you to think in, in. So that first breath, when we breathe in, we, we inflate the lungs, we draw the diaphragm down and we really breathe deep down into our tandem. Imagine we are filling up a pair of bellows inside us, a big, leathery, heavy, voluminous set of bellows. So when I breathe in, I'm sucking that air in, I'm drawing it into my lungs, and I'm inflating myself full of air. Now, when I breathe out, I'm not pushing the air out of those bellows. I'm not exhaling. I'm not freeing the air from myself. No, no. What we're doing is when we breathe out, Imagine if your lungs are a set of bellows. Imagine we are pinching the top closed with our right hand. So we draw all the air in like we're filling up a balloon and then we're pinching it closed at the top. Now, as we exhale, I want you to imagine now that instead of a set of bellows, your lungs are more like a big sponge. So if you're pinching the top closed with your right hand, with your left hand, you're grabbing it from the bottom and you're squeezing all that air out. So like a big sponge, it's full of oxygen, it's full of those good, healthy nutrients that we need more than anything, more than water, more than food, more than anything else. We need that air, we need that oxygen. So with your left hand, you're squeezing it out and you're draining everything from that sponge. And where does it go? Where does it go from that sponge? Well, those lungs, that sponge, that's inside you. It's surrounded by your body. So as you breathe in, you fill those bellows up, you fill yourself up with air. And then as you breathe out, you squeeze that air out and you squeeze it out from the lungs into your body, into your blood, through to your muscles, to your brain, to your heart. It goes everywhere. It fills you up. It circulates within you. It energizes you and it gives you life and it gives you power. And we know from experience, from exercise, we know that the exhalation is the breath of power. That is where we are strong. When we lift weights, we do it on the exhalation. When we strike, we do it on the exhalation. That is the breath of strength and the breath of power. So as we breathe in, we fill ourselves with energy. And as we breathe out, we squeeze it out like we're wringing out a towel. We're getting everything that we can out from those lungs and we're spreading it out to the body. So now you understand what I mean when I say in, in. So when we breathe in, we're filling ourselves up with oxygen. And when we exhale, we're pushing that air out from our lungs into our body.
in, in. Every breath, inhalation and exhalation, is a breath of energy and it's a breath of strength. Try that visualization next time you're on a run, especially. I really find it useful. That in, in, it really invigorates me and it really gives me a lot of strength and a lot of confidence. Okay, now we're going to move from that visualization. We're going to go on to some deep analysis now. We're really going to break it down. And right now, we're looking at the breath. There's two motions. We're going to break it down to eight, eight motions. Okay, so the first step is we're going to think about that inhalation and we're going to break it from one single motion of breathing in. We're going to break that down into three separate stages. A beginning, middle and end. So I want you to really think about the sensation, really analyze just that inhalation at the moment, just that inward breath. So at the beginning of that inward breath, and this is just for me personally, maybe you feel something a little bit different, but at the beginning of that inward breath, I feel myself lifting up, I'm speeding up, I'm accelerating, you're going from nothing, a neutral motion, you're breathing in, you're drawing that air in, you're accelerating and you're increasing the speed of inhalation. Now at the middle of the inward breath, you, you kind of level out the speed of your inhalation. And at that moment, I feel like, uh, imagine a bird soaring high and it's got the wind coming up, blowing up that hot thermal air, really catching under the wings and lifting it up. So it's not applying any effort, but it's still lifting up, it's raising up and you've got that big consistent inward draw of air. And then when you reach the top of the inward breath, you start to peter out, you start to slow your speed down, and it's almost as if you are a roller coaster. You've just finished climbing up that first section of the roller coaster, and you have that slight moment of weightlessness where you're coming up to the top, you're slowing down, you're reaching the top, like when you throw a ball in the air. You throw it up in the air and it slows down at the top, and it just becomes almost weightless for a moment. So that is the inward breath in three stages. You've got the increase of speed at the bottom, you've got the light and airy lift through the middle, and then you become nice and light at the top. And now down into the exhalation. So again, at the beginning of the exhalation, you have that same acceleration where you're picking up speed from neutral, you're picking up speed, but you're not falling into it. You're not free falling. You're coming down like the beginning of a roller coaster, but you're in control and it's comfortable and it's smooth. And then through the middle of the exhalation, 
that's where you're really in control and it's smooth and it's velvety and it's nice and long. So remember, I don't care how much air you breathe in, but as you breathe out in this middle part of the exhalation, this is where you have that nice opportunity to really lengthen it out and to really smooth it out like you're ironing out the creases nice and long and in control and smooth. And then as we come to the end of the exhalation, this is where you're sinking down nice and low, nice and slow, and you're coming down to a gentle stop. Again, if you want to use some visualization, I like to think of it as a ship that has just been sunk in the middle of the ocean and it's floating down through those dark, murky depths. And just before it comes to settle at the bottom of the ocean, it's just gently settling down. It's just gently falling down noiseless, silent, and as it comes to rest on the ocean floor, it's just gently, gently touching down, slowing down, nice and easy. And then when we come to the bottom, it's nice and easy and even and gentle. So we've broken that breath into six motions now. We're coming up at the beginning, speeding up, gliding through the middle, peaking at the top, and then on the way down. Again, we build up the speed as we're coming down into that dive, but it's a controlled dive. It's nice and easy, nice and smooth, nice and long. And then when we come to the bottom again, we're just slowly touching down like a glider, coming gently down to land. Nice and easy, nice and controlled. But of course, at the start, just a moment ago, I told you we're going to break it into eight breaths. Now I've just given you six. So where do those extra two come from? Well, we're going to look for those at the top and the bottom of each breath. So first of all, let's look for that motion between the inward and the outward breath. So we're breathing in, we're coming up, we're lifting up. And as we come to the top again, it's like you're throwing a ball in the air. It's like you're reaching that top part of a roller coaster. Just that movement where you're flying up to the top, nice and gentle, nice and light. And then as we reach the top, we lose our inertia nice and naturally, nice and easy. And we just have that small moment of weightlessness. And it's a nice curve, a nice arc before we start coming back down diving into the exhalation. So that motion between the inward and the outward breath, it's a nice arc, a nice gentle curve. And then now, as we come to the bottom of the exhalation, instead of a nice gentle curve, we're coming down and we're going to gently land at the bottom, whether it's that sinking ship or whether it's a glider coming down to land. We're coming down to land and then as we touch down at the bottom, as we land at the depths of our outward breath, we come to a gentle stop. Nice and easy, we come to rest just for a moment. It can be half a second, it can be a second, whatever's comfortable with you. We just come to a gentle stop before lifting up again, before feeling the wind beneath our wings and picking back up into that inhalation.
So the top of the inward breath is a curve, but the bottom of the outward breath, it plateaus out and it flattens out. And this is our greatest moment of stillness. In the army, when you're shooting long range, this is the moment you take the shot. In kudo, in archery, this is the moment you loose the arrow at the bottom of the outward breath. People think that you need to hold your breath for these things, for these moments of stillness. No, you don't hold your breath. You don't take a big deep breath in and then clench it tight. No, no, it's at the end of the outward breath where it naturally comes to settle before you have again a nice natural inhalation. That moment, that gentle moment of stillness is entirely natural and it's there in the middle of every single breath. Now that we've broken that breath down into eight stages, let's bring it back into two. Let's rewind and bring it all the way back into two. So we've got an inhalation and an exhalation. We're breathing in and we're breathing out. And then from there, let's bring it back into one breath, one big motion, in and out. So we've broken it down into every single individual motion and each of those individual motions you can break down a hundred times further there's no limit to the division that you can break your breath down into but right now we're bringing it back into one big motion we're discarding any boundaries it's just one big circle every breath is linked to every other breath every inhalation is linked to the following exhalation there is no beginning, there is no end. Now I just want you to drop the entire idea of numbers, whether it's eight, six, two, one, any idea of numbers. Just look at your breath as one continuous action. There is no beginning, there is no end. Any division is entirely within our own minds and it helps for us to break it down and to look at it with that depth and with that inquisitive mind but now we're going to take a step back and we're just going to look at it as one continual breath one continual motion there is no in no out no up no down no start no finish there is only the breath 